Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Stuttering Foundation podcast. This is Sarah McIntyre recording from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm welcomed and really honored today. You all have heard me quote and reference Vivian Siskin. Hey, 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 Vivian. Hi, Sarah. It's great to see you and chat with you today. Yeah, thanks again for being with us. So we are going to be talking about all all, all things arts, all things avoidance reduction, th- 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 therapy for stuttering today. And what we record today is actually going to be the kickoff of season six in January. And you all will be able to listen to a four-part series. We will release these episodes each Tuesday of the month of January, starting January 9th. So really excited to kick off the season in this way. And I'm so thankful that you are are, are with us today, Vivian. And I'm going to read Vivian's bio just so everyone ha- 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 has an idea of, uh, if, if you haven't heard fr- fr- from her or of her already, where she's located and, and her many accomplishments within our field. And then we'll kind of just kick off our conversation organically from there. Vivian Siskin is a clinical professor emerita at the University of Maryland, an ASHA fellow, and a board-certified specialist in fluency disorders. She served as coordinator for ASHA's special interest group for fluency disorders, chair of ASHA's council for clinical certification in audiology and speech-language pathology, and received ASHA's media champion award. Iskin served as vice chair of the American Board on Fluency and Fluency Disorders and is a faculty member for the Stuttering Foundation's Mid-Atlantic Workshop. She was named Speech-Language Pathologist of the Year by the National Stuttering Association, and she owns the Siskin Stuttering Center in the Washington, D.C. area. Anything you want to add to that bio, Vivian? No, I think it was already too much. (laughs) Okay, Okay, sounds good. I can shorten that too if you want. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. (laughs) And I know you and you know me. And so it's nice that other people get, can get a little bit of background about me. So thank you for doing that. Of course. So why don't we start really broadly? What is arts? And can you give us some background and just general info there to kick us off? Oh, a topic I hate to talk about. You know this. (laughs) (laughs) I love talking about arts. So arts is avoidance reduction therapy for stuttering arts. And basically, in its most basic form, it's stuttering affirming therapy, which involves acceptance, acceptance of identity, and it involves change, changing the person's response to stuttering and how they evaluate themselves as a person who stutters and evaluate actually the moment of stuttering. So it's a lot of change and a lot of acceptance. It's based on the idea, I'm trying to make this sort of succinct so people can get an essence of what the therapy is and maybe how it differs from others. It's the idea, the basic idea, it's not the stuttering or the disfluency, but the struggle that accounts for adverse impact from stuttering. So many people can live very comfortably, communicate effectively, joyfully, and stutter. They don't have a lot of impact from their stuttering, and others do. And I think when people do, it's because of struggle. And we have a you know sort of a broad definition of all these areas of struggle that we'll get into. But we really try to separate out the neurodevelopmental genetic aspect of stuttering, which we refer to as disfluency, and struggle. And struggle can come in the form of physical struggle in the stuttering pattern. 
It could come through emotional struggling, feeling feelings you don't want to feel, or fear of fearing of feeling those feelings, um, anticipating those feelings and not wanting to feel them. It also can be what we call mental gymnastics and the thoughts that go through our head all day long about speaking or not speaking or about what listeners are thinking or they're not thinking and trying to control this incredibly complex communicative environment that control contributes also to the struggle. So the therapy is really about understanding the person's pattern and what influences it and allows the person to struggle. So what leads to the struggle And then little by little in the arts approach, you're letting go of the struggle, like bit by bit, piece by piece. And the theoretical roots, and I'll give you a little bit of background here, they come from my mentor, Joseph Sheehan, who was a psychologist at UCLA from the years 1949 to 1983. And I worked with him there from 1974 to 1983, actually 1973 about a 10-year period. And it opened my eyes to something I knew nothing about, which was stuttering. And it was through that experience that I entered the field of speech-language pathology and started working with people at that time in the UCLA Stuttering Clinic. And I found his work to be just genius, if I can say that. I read a lot of other accounts of stuttering and other approaches to stuttering, but his humor his analogies, and certainly the paradoxical nature of stuttering that he brought out in such a playful way really captured me. And so arts therapy, today's arts therapy has evolved since Joseph Sheehan's arts therapy. He didn't call it arts. Um, We have a registered trademark on arts, but he, he did use avoidance reduction therapy. And it was based on a couple of conflicts. Based on some other work that he did later in the area of the suppression hypothesis, we have divided it into three conflicts that the person who stutters is on a journey of resolving. So we have the first conflict, which is the approach avoidance conflict. And that's a conflict between going ahead and holding back. It's a conflict of communication, which is the person is deciding all the time what is going to win, speech or silence. And so the idea is that there's two competing goals. One is speaking and one is silence. And they're always there. They're always there. And there's positive and negative aspects of both of those goals. So the person wants to speak. There you go, the positive. I want to communicate. I want to answer the phone. I want to talk to my friend. I want to engage. I want to be joyful in this communicative interaction. That's the positive. But the negative, oh, I'll stutter. I'll feel bad about myself. It'll interrupt the, the the vibe of the conversation. I'll feel negative feelings. They'll think negative things about me. And so at that point, the silence wins out. And the goal of silence has also positive and negative aspects to it. So the positive aspect of silence is that I can hide my identity as a person who's stuttered. I don't have to feel those feelings or think those faults or deal with it. But the negative is that failure of communication which is very powerful in terms of self-esteem and joyful living, you know, as we, we love to communicate. We're humans who love to communicate. So that is the first conflict, and we're trying to resolve that conflict so the person approaches rather than avoids. And just one more thing about that conflict. I don't know how much detail you want on it, but I'll give you another little aspect of it. There are these two gradients, an approach gradient and an avoidance gradient. 
And the avoidance gradient is a little steeper because of the fear involved there. There's enormous reservoir of fear under that gradient. And when the two gradients cross, they reach an equilibrium, the person sort of oscillates and stops and has that moment of communicative failure related stuttering. It could be anything. It could be a block of repetition and it could be a moment where they just don't want to go ahead. It's a moment where stuttering impacts communication. The appearance of that, in other words, the moment of stuttering, the moment of block, the moment of communicative failure actually lets the cat out of the bag and the person can continue. And so the appearance of stuttering actually reduces the fear that elicited it. And so the person can continue. And so the idea is to always keep that approach gradient higher than the avoidance gradient, you know, lean in, as we say, you know, in therapy, approach that moment of stuttering, stutter with enthusiasm, with conviction. These are some of the things that we use in therapy. The second conflict is one related to one of role conflict. So it's a conflict of social self-presentation, as Joshin would call it, that he actually thought that stuttering was more a problem of social self-presentation than a speech problem. And the idea is that people go through the day with a lot of fluency capacity. Many people, you know, you hear people say all the time, sometimes I stutter and sometimes I don't, right? So the fact that there are these islands of fluency, moments of fluency, it sort of draws people to try to use that fluency, try to recreate that fluency in the next interaction they have. So they approach a new situation. I'm going to be fluent. I'm going to try to be fluent. Hopefully I'll be fluent. That will be my success here. And I'll be happy if I'm fluent. But if they stutter and they reveal themselves as a person who stutters and that identity is no longer the one that is presented, they have this role conflict. And so in therapy, what we're trying to do is that if you walk into the world with the goal of presenting yourself as a fluent person, you're going to experience a lot of conflict and holding back. However, if you present yourself, walk into the world as a person who stutters, and that's an identity issue, then when you do stutter, you're congruent and you don't experience that conflict. So again, it's like reveal or mask kind of a conflict. And the third conflict, here we go, the third conflict is one of control. And while Sheehan didn't present it this way, he did talk about suppression. And a quote from Sheehan, well, I'm not sure if it's a direct quote from anything I can pull, but I remember him saying that successful suppression of stuttering is what maintains and perpetuates the problem. And I think for me, that is such an important conflict. I'm going to say it again for listeners. It's And I'm going to change one word in it, successful suppression of struggle. In other words, suppression of showing stuttering, all the the effort in hiding stuttering actually maintains and perpetuates it. So we have this conflict between letting go of control and suppression of stuttering. And a lot of what we do to change even an open, free stuttering pattern from someone who has a pretty good acceptance, you know, base. Sometimes they're tense. Sometimes they have a moment of stuttering that they hold on to for a long period of time. Sometimes they're trying to control the way the, the stuttering moment comes through their body, make it smaller, make it little, make it not too loud. And 
the work here is about letting go of that control, which may be, and I'm going to say this now, I don't know, maybe the hardest part of the therapy is to allow the stuttering to be there, to embrace it as it is and not control it. As you were talking, I, I was imagining, you know, this is something I think people are re- re- really grasping onto more currently. But for a while, it was pretty radical. Like you were a little bit on an island over here, just from my perception. I don't know if that actually was the feeling there. Oh, Sarah. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes, I was. <laughs> I don't know if I want to relive the 80s and 90s. Um, fair. In- of trying to get this information out to people. Those who know me know that I've been doing this therapy consistently for 50 years. Yes, I'm that old, everybody out there. Um, I just want to, you know, but it's clearly different today. I was just reminiscing with somebody the other day that back in the 90s, I made a proposal to present something at the ASHA convention. And I was teaming with Joe Sheehan's daughter, Marion Sheehan, to talk about avoidance reduction therapy, yes. And we had proposed a seminar at the ASHA convention and was outright rejected. Yeah. And we tried a few times to get it out there and outright rejected. And those were the days where people in control of the programs really didn't understand what we were doing. They believed that stuttering could be cured, maybe, or that fluency-enhancing programs were the way to go. But the proof for me was always in my clientele. I've been doing group therapy since the 70s. And when people who stutter keep on contacting you and talking about how their life has changed to be more free, more confident, more effective communicator, you know, imagine a person who stutters who gets compliments for being a great communicator. Is that a possibility, you know? So yes, thank you for asking that. I did stick with it because I truly believe in it. And those who know me well know that there's no other bandwagon that I could possibly jump on. This is, I truly believe that that acceptance and change. In other words, right now, you know how the pendulum swings back and forth. And before it was people who didn't want to address the acceptance piece. Let's just work on the superficial, visible aspects of stuttering. Well, there are people today who feel that any work on speech change is not appropriate and they only want to work on identity and acceptance. But for me, and this is a very, very important concept for me, that you can't develop acceptance and stuttering affirmation if you don't like the way you're stuttering and it's uncomfortable and it's struggled. And on the other hand, developing a more comfortable forward-moving, free, spontaneous form of disfluency leads the way to self-acceptance, you know? Mm -hmm. So having those two things impact each other, two parallel roads on this journey of change that interact with each other constantly and need each other constantly, Mm -hmm. I think is a recipe for success. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't think if anyone told me, okay, when stuttering is feeling its hardest, when you feel this burden of concealment, this weight on your shoulders at its heaviest, and to 
just feel okay about that and to be okay with that and to meet others. Of course, that is so impactful. But I think that that only would have brought me to a a certain place. And it also probably would have diminished a lot of hope too. I remember going through a lot of different types of, of stuttering therapy, not until my early 20s. And a lot of it, and we'll get into some of these these things, so I don't want to go to too much detail here, but all of it was aimed at control, helping me to do a better job. And as someone who is, I, I don't know, I think I still call myself a recovering covert person who stutters because those things run deep. <laughs> and wow. and, and I, I was doing a pretty good job on my own masking and 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 playing this role of a fluent person on the outside but it was as many people know out there it's it 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 really is crushing inside it's like that visual of swimming and you you're looking okay on the on the surface but then your legs are kind of moving 100 miles an hour underneath the surface to keep you afloat that's how how it felt um and i know listeners you probably have heard elements of my story in in most episodes so i try not to go into too much because it's not not about that it you know but i think when i first and i i, I hadn't had any formal arts therapy but i i wish i had back in my early 20s but i began reading and listening to anything that you were doing and reading some of Sheehan's work and i thought Wow, like this is it. This is why it was like this band aid that I was always just trying to do when I was practicing things over and over. And you know, if if there was somebody to practice, you know, I was used to five thirty a.m. morning lacrosse practice. Like I was there. I was going to practice till the cows come home. And and this just really opened up a huge light and perspective and connected dots. But also, I think instilled a lot of hope for change in wanting to to really feel and believe that I was an effective communicator. Yeah, Sarah, what you're talking about relates so much to for certainly for people who relate as covert, but others too. This notion of these false roles that our society really likes for stutterers to play. Yes, if you can hide it, why don't you? And what's wrong with that? But not understanding the importance of authenticity, that you want to be who you are. You want to be spontaneous. You want to say everything you want to say when you want to. You don't want to screen and edit and play false roles all day. And I think that piece is not really given enough attention, either in any therapy approach. Finding a person enacting their authentic self is really, really big in the arts journey. Yeah. And understanding what drives those false role choices, really, and how to extinguish that over time a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Vivian. Thanks, Sarah. And listeners, tune back in next Tuesday for the second mini episode uh, uh, of our ongoing art series. Looking forward to being with you all. Bye. Bye.